This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Asian Insider, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Now, very recently, on the 9th of December, Indian and Chinese troops got into a skirmish on the border of India's northeastern Arunachal Pradesh state with China. This is the eastern sector of that really long Himalayan border. China, in fact, claims Arunachal Pradesh. This skirmish did not involve firearms, but the fights these two have had on that northern border have been really brutal hand-to-hand combat with weapons like wooden clubs embedded with nails and so forth. Back in 2020, way over on the western sector at Galwan, that fight left well over 20, possibly even up to 40 or 50 dead on both sides. In this new clash, we have heard so far of injuries but no deaths. Now, to help unpack what this latest incident means, I have with me from New Delhi, Dr. Manoj Joshi, Distinguished Fellow at the Observer Research Foundation, the ORF, and author of a new book titled, very appropriately, Understanding the India-China Border, the Enduring Threat of War in High Himalaya. Dr. Joshi, many thanks for joining me. And from here in Washington, D.C., I am delighted to welcome back to Asian Insider, Dr. Aparna Pandey, author of books on Indian and South Asian relations and foreign policy, and director of the Initiative on the Future of India and South Asia, at the Hudson Institute. Welcome back, Dr. Pandey. Thank you, Nirmal. Pleasure. Now, Dr. Joshi, may I ask you to perhaps start to unpack the significance of this recent clash on the Arunachal border? How is it seen from the Indian perspective? What do you think the Chinese are trying to achieve? And, I mean, it, okay, a double barrel question. Would you say the Indian response on the ground this time has been better than previously in 2020 when, as you have written in your book, India appeared to have been somewhat complacent. Absolutely. Meaning uh, in 2020, the Indians were caught napping. This time around, very clearly, the Chinese came with a plan. Uh, They had an extraordinary large number of personnel in their patrol. So normally patrols are 40, 50 people. This time reports suggest that there may be 300 or 400 or even 600, which meant that this was not just a patrol to one of the disputed areas, because Yangtze is considered one of the areas where the claims of the two sides overlap. So normally patrols do come in, but given the 2020 experience, I think the Indians were ready. And so what with this large number of personnel, what the Chinese tried to do was to overwhelm the Indian force, meaning they would have simply overwhelmed it and then simply sat there and said, this is the LAC. And that, I think, was foiled. And I think that has been the the positive part of this outcome. It's very interesting. Dr. Pandey, how significant is it that this happened in Tawang? I recall that back in 62, China briefly occupied Tawang. uh, And Tawang is arguably part of Tibet. Should we be reading any more strategically into this clash than, say, into previous ones in Galwan and the 2017 face-off at Doklam? Thanks, Nirmal. Pleasure to be on this panel with Dr. Joshi. As you know, China does lay claim to large territory along the entire India-China border. A lot of this is tied to China's claim to Tibet and regions that historically paid tribute to or were part of the Tibetan kingdom. Both Ladakh, the 2020 clash, and this recent clash are areas that China claims. So at one level, it's the continuation of Chinese claims to these regions Going back to the 1900s, we can go back even before independence. 
at another it's uh, you know the aggressiveness we have seen since 2012 when president xi taking over the significance of tawang is not just the strategic significance of the territory but that the tawang monastery is there one of the most sacred places for tibetan buddhism and with the issue of the dalai next dalai lama succession uh, there are those who argue that china would like control over territory where a future dalai lama you know successor may come about and so therefore uh, it would like control over the tawang region dr joshi your own views on 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 that and all that on yeah. the significance of tawang well the, the significance of tawang i think what uh, dr pandey has laid out is fairly clear meaning it is one of the major sites of tibetan buddhism and uh, i think the fourth dalai lama was born there he was a monpa and uh, uh, so uh, until 1951 there has been dispute on this whether the tibetans had just ecclesiastical control over the monastery or was it also temporal control but whatever it is in 2014 when tibet and india signed an agreement which defined their border boundary by the mcmahon line tawang uh, the tibetans accepted that tawang would come to india now the chinese in 1960 late 70s early 80s were willing to exchange claims which includes tawang they said that if you uh, recognize our claims in western sector that is ladakh we will concede your claims in the eastern sector so this obsession with tawang actually begins only in the mid 80s mid 1980s when the mid 1980s the chinese suddenly turned around and said well you know actually the problem is really in the eastern sector and in the eastern sector they said that if you want to settle this dispute you must make concessions and the bottom line concession they have laid out since then has been tawang they said you must give us tawang and we have bluntly told them that when you say that give us tawang it means you don't want a settlement so we have also taken a pretty tough line but as far as this yangtze sector is concerned it has yet another history in 1987 india and china had a standoff in a place called sundrong chu or the wangdong sector which is north of tawang and the indian army took up certain positions and they faced down the chinese in fact the chinese came off the worst in that particular uh, encounter and amongst the positions that the indian army occupied to protect tawang was yangtze so till then the chinese feel that it was part of their part of the line of actual control and they feel that the indians have come and occupied it in 1987 and so they are trying to push us out from there but you see we have an agreement with them in 1993 as to where the line of actual control lies and wherever there is confusion and yangtze is actually listed as one of the points where they, there are differences uh, we are supposed to sit down together and work out the proper uh, line of actual control but you know the chinese have been have been resiling on that uh, since 1993 we've been trying to get them to sit down and say where in the problem areas in the line of actual control let's sit down and work it out let's get our surveyors there the military personnel and work it out the chinese have said nothing doing in 2015 prime minister modi in beijing two or three times specifically raised this issue of clarifying the line of actual control you know a week later uh, the chinese fobbed him off 
because these these disputed these points where there's an overlap in the line of actual control are very convenient to keep India off balance. And a week later, a Chinese official uh, met Indian journalists and uh, they said, you know, why don't you clarify this line of actual control? He said, no, 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 that will create a big problem. So then they said, what is the problem? They, he said, that is beyond my remit. He was not able to explain what the problem will be with the clarification. So there we are with a line of actual control where 18 to 20 points, there is uh, no clarity and both sides technically are free to patrol those areas. But as you know, in 2020, the Chinese blocked us off five of those areas. And again, they are trying something in the Yangtze sector. So we don't know what exactly their perspective is, but they seem to be wanting to keep India off balance. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Okay, uh, well, it could stay with you for a moment, Dr. Joshi. One very peculiar characteristic of these clashes, Galwan 2020, Tawang 2022, is that these fights are not with firearms, but, but with deadly weapons and particularly brutal hand-to-hand combat, which is surely rather unusual. Is there some sort of line both sides cannot or will not cross? If they do cross, is that an unacceptable risk? I mean, what is the nature of the risk we are looking at here down the road? I read that the commanders of both sides met in the aftermath of this recent clash. But as you say, there don't seem to be many, uh, there doesn't seem to be much in the way of dialogue between India and China on settling the LAC. Is this going to be the norm going forward? Is these kinds of clashes just short of actual warfare or limited, you know, border warfare? You know, I think something is going to give. In Galwan, the troops were all armed. They had arms. They didn't use them. And this is this clause of the 1996 agreement between India and China that there will be no uh, use of weapons in the two-kilometer zone uh, along the LAC. But my point is that has changed. After the Galwan clash, the Indian military has got instructions to use weapons for self-defense. So what I can say is that in the Western sector, that old rule has gone. Now, I don't know how it will play out. In the eastern sector, from the Yangtze clash, it seems that the rule still seems to be, um, uh, they still seem to be obeying that rule. But it's a matter of time, because the point is that that rule was in place that the two sides could patrol up to their claims in a reasonably peaceful manner. But if the intention is to overwhelm the other side's claims, then the other side is going to defend themselves. So I think it's a matter of time. Uh, and we are going to have a breakdown uh, of this uh, situation. Okay, Dr. Pandey, I'd like to ask you, how do you think this new clash may be seen by Washington, India being part of the, you know, the coalition, so to speak, to contain China through the Quad and so forth? How is it seen out here from, from, from D.C.? So um, ever since the 2020 Galwan clash, there has been a I mean, reasonably vocal and public American uh, response when it comes to uh, you know, these aggressive or salami slicing maneuvers by China. The Trump administration, uh, continuing the Biden administration. I mean, this is something new. I mean, historically, Washington would not openly speak out. At least the U.S. government would not. But the deepening partnership between India and the U.S., um, the closer military and defense and intelligence partnership, the fact that India has signed these foundational agreements that many American partners signed, 
So India has got access to equipment, uh, high altitude clothing, and even intelligence sharing has taken place uh, between India and US to help India vis-a-vis the, what China is doing along the border. Uh, there is bipartisan support, um, you know, in the Congress on the U- on the need for the U.S. to come out in support of India uh, to help India build its uh, military capabilities, and uh, there's strong support for India, the Indo-Pacific strategy, and the and Quad. Interestingly, I mean, at one level, I would say China may believe that its actions on the border will somehow convince India and the U.S. not to become closely aligned. But in fact, Chinese actions have had the exact opposite outcome. The more aggressive China is on the border or in India's neighborhood, the greater likelihood that India sort of, you know, is gets more aligned to the United States and its partners and the more likely that U.S. and its partners will come out and support India in many ways. Yes, in fact, I think there was a joint military exercise as well between the U.S. and India up in up in Himalayas quite recently. Just a few days before the before the December 9th clash. Right, right. Okay, um, uh, last question um, for you, Dr. Joshi, from where you sit. Is India vulnerable in terms of political divisions at home or is there a general broad consensus about, about the whole issue with China? See, uh, I think... Uh, as far as China is concerned, there is broad consensus. And another point I'd like to make is that, you know, we have pretty strong defenses right along the Himalayas. We have forward defenses, strong defenses. If you can look at this Yangtze sector itself and, and, and this recent clash uh, indicates that in Eastern Ladakh in 2020, they dropped the ball, meaning the Indian military dropped the ball and they should have been much more alert, uh, but they, they weren't. But uh, I think now uh, they've learned a lesson. And so we have strong defenses all around. But, you know, the Chinese are also now, for a long time, the Chinese were, took it pretty easy. They had very thin defenses right along the line of actual control. But in the last three years, they have been rapidly constructing, you know, barracks and uh, dumps, petrol facilities. In this Yangtze itself, just north of where the clash took place, uh, there's a brand new village. The Chinese called it a Xiaokang village, a moderately prosperous village. Now, I'm sure that the PLA and their support structure, they probably stay there. So right along the line of actual control, we are seeing uh, that there's a buildup on both sides. And that's why uh, in my book, I call it the enduring threat of war in the High Himalaya. Because if you have a buildup, you have a dispute, you have a dispute which is bubbling up in these peculiar ways that it is, the chances of this becoming a shooting dispute uh, are pretty high. Uh, Dr. Pandey, a last quick one from you on that previous question of mine as well. What is the consensus uh, that you detect in India politically? I've seen some complaints from the opposition, of course, saying that, oh, you know, the government doesn't share information and so on and so forth. Uh, are, Are political divisions a problem for India? Um, I don't think the political divisions are a problem for India. Maybe the communication is a problem. Uh, the government has been reluctant to share information and share com- and communicate. In Kalwan, they were reluctant for a number of months. This time around, they have actually immediately sort of, you know, spoken about it and referred to it. So I think communication will help, uh, will help the public, will help the elite to know what is happening. And I also, and I would like to, one final point that this is a political issue. You can have 16 or 17 or 20 rounds of negotiations, but at the end of the day, it will need to be decided 
by the Chinese top political brass and by the Indian brass, because that's the only way this issue is going to be resolved. Otherwise, we will move sooner or later, Dr. Yoshi said, towards some clash which will spill over because of emotional reasons uh, into something more than just a border uh, skirmish. Right. Okay. Dr. Parna Pandey, Dr. Manoj Joshi, thank you very much. It was great having you on the show. Great discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nirmal. That nicely wraps this discussion up for the Asian Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Join me and my expert guests for the next episode on the fourth Friday of every month. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.